welcome to the Scotta Chronicast, the podcast which discusses all things relating to medieval Scotland. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Buchanan. This is episode 27, and is the second part of my conversation with Dr. Bryony Coombs. In this episode, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into inventories and the old alliance between Scotland and France. If you haven't yet listened to episode 26, this might be a great opportunity to go back and listen to that one. And I'm very much looking forward to presenting to you the second part of this conversation. Without further ado, on to the episode. Yeah, so I just uh, want to kind of talk a little bit about um, the inventories that you mentioned, because that's something I did a little bit of research okay. in when I did my <laughs> master's. And so I'm, yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you're seeing there. Okay, well, there's um, one particular one. Um, Mm -hmm. which has been really useful and there's one I'm still tracking down that I haven't found yet so I can tell you a little bit um yeah so the 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 fascinating one is uh connected to the Stuart de Aubigny family so they had um they were given land just north of Bourges uh around Aubigny sur Nair Mm -hmm. Um, And they built a a chateau there and they built a second chateau just a few miles outside. It was like their country retreat and it still survives and it's an amazing building. And it has an amazing chapel attached to it with beautiful um, wall paintings and ceiling paintings with these kind Mm -hmm. of painted medallions and things. Um, And uh, Elizabeth Bonner, who's done a lot of work on the old alliance, mm-hmm. uh, worked in the archives at the private archives at Laverie, which is this country retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, and she found or had published this um, inventory, which was in the archives there. And it's just, it's fascinating because it just gives you this little snapshot of what life was like in early 16th century France for this yeah. uh, Franco-Scottish family. Um, and it is it is it's a very detailed inventory, both of their chateau in Aubigny-Sunet, but also at Laverie. And it tells you um, what was in every room. And there's magnificent things like a great series, uh, many great series of tapestries, um, mm-hmm. some of them personalised with the Stuart de Aubigny arms. One right. of them, the description is quite curious, and it seems to be suggesting that there was a portrait of Robert Stuart de Aubigny embroidered onto the tapestry oh, and embellished with um, gemstones. It's, a, it's oh. just a, <laughs> a, a ridiculously lavish object that's described. <laughs> Um, yeah, but there's all kinds of things and it's, it is, it's really interesting because it tells you something about what they connect, uh, collected when they were on their, um, their travels as well. So the Stuart yeah. de family were really important mercenaries in the French wars in Italy and they, they traveled to Italy a lot. Burroughs Stuart de was a governor in Calabria mm-hmm. and Naples as well. Uh, as well as Milan. And they seem to have brought back lots of very interesting examples of material culture from their 
travels as well. Right. So there's lots of descriptions of Italian fabrics that they collected. Um, I think there was a Spanish guitar. <laughs> um, and there's just lots of very interesting um, descriptions of things which they brought back, um, portraits of various noble families which they've collected, uh, papal portraits, yeah, mm -hmm. all kinds of fascinating things. So that inventory in particular has been really useful because it gives a real idea of what it was like to actually live there and yeah. um, what they were interested in, what they collected. Um, yeah. And the other one is John Stuart, Duke of Albany, who um, had all these wonderful chateaus, which uh -huh. I went to find it is dotted around the Auvergne. And, um, his properties, he didn't have any heirs to take over his properties, but he, they went to Catherine de' Medici. Oh. Um, this was because his, his wife's sister had uh, married Lorenzo de' Medici and they had ah. their child, Catherine, and then both parents died and Albany became kind of responsible for Catherine de' Medici. Interesting. Um, and this is what gave him such good close links to the papacy and was very, right. very useful for him in a lot of his diplomatic uh, endeavours. But yeah. Um, so, yeah, so his chateaus were eventually in 1536 when he died, they were inherited by Catherine de' Medici. And she has some, had some uh, inventories drawn up later, which are really very interesting. They've not been published. Well, one of them has not been published. It's in the Bibliothèque Nationale de France. Right. And, um, you can see her library, which is absolutely fascinating. And a great deal of it has been directly inherited from Albany. But I can't tell exactly, <laughs> you know, what, right. what was his material. It's very difficult. I can't separate it. Yeah. And I know there was an inventory drawn up immediately after his death before Catherine um, inherited all his libraries and his uh, chateaus but it seems to be lost and it's the most frustrating thing. Yeah. <laughs> I've spent <laughs> spent so much of my research time trying to trace this inventory. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's one of my frustrating stories. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm hopeful that eventually... <laughs> You'll find, find it eventually. It. It'll, it'll yeah. be uncovered. <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, <laughs> So, um, yeah, so these documentary records of, of what people owned in France, what Scots or Franco Scots owned, uh, have been really useful and they're very interesting. Um, and unfortunately, yeah. they were only drawn up under specific conditions. So not all of my case studies have them. And I always right. wish they did. <laughs> well, that was, that was going to be, yeah, one of my questions. It's just like, I know it's often common to drop an inventory once somebody has um, has died, um, but are there other other specific like events that kind of trigger that? Yeah, well, the the Stuart Yobany one is very interesting in that um, it, the member of the Stuart Yobany uh, family who sort of prompted this <laughs> um, inventory to be drawn up. It was because he defected from the French side oh. and the French king. <laughs> 
Um, Francis I at the time um, said, well, I'm going to take back my property and everything that's in it. So therefore draw up this inventory and I know what then what I can, what I have back. So having been very, I always find it quite sad because having been very loyal servants to the French and worked so hard for them and um, having yeah, such a good reputation as being um, loyal mercenaries and diplomats for the French. Um, yeah, it all went wrong yeah. at one point uh, <laughs> in the mid 16th century. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if it's needed, there's a lot of interesting um, accounts related to the old alliance, for instance. Um, right. I was. Oh, uh, I was going to talk a little bit about. Shall I just do it now? Is that okay? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, one thing I, I have been looking at a lot is this idea of uh, how the old alliance came about. And uh, this right. connects to these manuscripts, which I've been talking about, so like the Bremen Doma manuscript, looking at um, the ancient history of Scotland and so forth. But um, during the 15th century, it seems that that people believed the alliance dated back to Achaeus, this 65th king of Scotland and Charlemagne. Uh, Mm. And I think this is really interesting because um, there's perhaps not much historical truth in this, although it has been shown that it it does, the alliance does seem to date back um, further than the documentary evidence from 1295 that we have for it. So right. there is evidence of Scots having land and property in France before then. So it might well be much older than that document suggests. But I think it's very interesting that there's this real sort of mythology that grew up around it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think uh, this idea I suppose that idea that uh, Gordon Donaldson talks about, about history not uh, not being only about what happened, but also being about what people believed. And at this time, people really believed that this was this ancient alliance between Scotland and France that takes right. back to the time of Charlemagne, which I think is really interesting. Um, yeah. And there were it was also this sort of an emotive element, I think, to the old alliance. It's it's often talked about in quite emotional terms. Um, and there's this account of uh, this French poet, Alain Chartier, who came on an embassy at the beginning of the 15th century, I think in the 1420s, to Scotland. Um, and he writes his oration that he he gave in Scotland is recorded in a manuscript in the Bibliothèque Nationale de France in Latin, and mm-hmm. it translates as him saying, the old alliance is not written on parchment in ink, but engraved on the living flesh of man's skin in blood. And I think no. it has this real, <laughs> this real kind of emotive element to yeah. it. And he sees the people of Scotland and France as really Im- embodying this this alliance right Um, yeah which is really interesting and yeah and yeah it seems to have been used in interesting ways as well so in kind of propagandic terms it was um this antiquity sort of uh, fed into the types of origin myths that were written by by Forden and Bauer in the 14th and 15th centuries so mm-hmm. it's it, it was kind of used to bolster this uh, this idea of uh, an ancient and autonomous Scottish royal lineage um which is which is very interesting yeah 
So that was it, really. It was just, um, yeah, it's a very interesting um, relationship between two countries, I think. Uh, it's yeah. sort of surrounded by mythology and fable and, and is, is often thought about in quite a sort of emotional way. Right. It's a really, um, well, it's, it's been romanticized, but it's yeah. not a, like a recent thing that it's been romanticized. It's yeah. been a relationship that has been romanticized for such a long time. Yeah. 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 It's a, a it's an unusual, unusual relationship between two countries, I think, or the people to, between in two countries. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, and there was one other comment in relation yeah. to that, actually. Um, when I was ta- thinking about the, the Libra plus cadences, so mm-hmm. I talked a bit about how um, some of these commanders um, travelled to, to France and they did really well. They were really well thought of. They inherited lots of land or were given lots of land and properties and privileges. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting to do a bit of research on uh, whether this was – uh, really the case for the experience for all Scots traveling as mercenaries to France. And in the Libre mm-hmm. Plus Cadences, there's an interesting bit towards the end where it, it notes that uh, far from it, it suggests that uh, some of the French referred to their Scottish uh, mercenaries who were there as mere mutton guzzlers and wine bags. <laughs> so... <laughs> Reputation of the uh, the kind of rank and file Scottish soldier was not as as lofty <laughs> as <laughs> we might think from just studying these um, these commanders who did very right. well. And, yeah. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I think the general Scot was um, not always thought of in such glowing terms. <laughs> yes. Ah, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Mutton and wine. Yeah. <laughs> hey, at least it wasn't oats. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It wasn't oats. <laughs> oh, I feel like there's so much <laughs> about the Scots and oats during that time, and like from the English perspective. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Different perspective from France, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so interesting to see. Because there's obviously been such a long-standing relationship, and we often look at it from a Scottish history perspective of how, like, France had influenced Scotland. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to kind of f- look at it from how, like, s- Scotland ended up influencing France, and yeah, yeah. And there is genuine influence there. I mean, there is remarkable things that survive in France that are are fairly understudied, I would say, yeah. um, because they're not really known about here or, um, and I suppose they've not been fully studied by French scholars either because often they're tracing material through the French patrons. So they're not coming right. to this material so much. Um, but yeah, the, the Scots were very important uh, from, I suppose, a military and diplomatic, political, but also a, a cultural point of view in France, and they were influential. Yeah, there's lots more work to be done there. Yeah, definitely. Um, oh, I have so many like <laughs> so many questions that, like, I know are probably not answerable and stuff about um, just like the inventories and because I know. Uh, 
well, one of the things that always frustrated me is not having inventories from earlier yeah. <laughs> on yeah. in in Scotland, um, that we only have inventories from like sixteenth century and onwards. Yeah. Um and that's always been a little bit frustrating. But yeah. it would be the- I don't know if this has been done. Uh, you can tell me if it's in the process. You can also tell me that. It'd be interesting <laughs> if we had like an inventory from Dunbar and then like, well, in theory, if you ever found your inventory yeah. <laughs> of Albany, <laughs> it'd be interesting mm. to compare like Fair. what is being kept in the household in yeah. France versus what's yeah, being kept be in Scotland. <laughs> Yeah, that would be absolutely fascinating. And I would love to compare Albany's residences in Scotland with his residences in France. That would make a perfect kind of case study. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, as you say, I mean, inventories, they were only really drawn up under these quite specific circumstances. There had to be a reason for them. Right. And um, yeah, I've, I mean, I've not found really any connected to my Scots in Scotland (laughs) at all, Um, which is a real shame. Um, I mean, there are lots of interesting accounts and sort of the treasurer's accounts and things relating to Dunbar, but um, yeah, an inventory would be lovely. (laughs) Um, Yeah, they they just never crop up when you actually want them. Um. No. No, I think this is why this publication by Elizabeth Bonner on the the Stuart Yobany, um uh, inventory is 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 a real godsend. It's a, a very valuable resource because it was you know original and untampered with, and it gives such yeah. a good idea of uh, what was in a series of properties. So, yeah, I mean, you could do comparisons within their properties because um it shows the chateau at Aubigny the one at Lavery and another building that they own so there would be some scope for comparison there but yeah yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, that would be super super cool um because yeah it would just be yeah I'm I'm, my brain is now fascinated with the (laughs) idea of like all these like odd objects like going back and forth as well um, yeah, that's true, and I'm sure there was um, there was more material that um, went from France to Scotland. So I'm I'm really interested to know if this uh, copy, Albany's copy of the Libra Pluscadensis that he had translated into French, whether yeah. he took it with him on his three visits back to Scotland. So I think what this was was him sort of getting together ammunition to inform himself about. About his Scottish heritage before yeah. he really took up the reins of being regent of Scotland, and I think yeah. particularly because it has this genealogy at the back, it's like it's kind of like an age memoir for him, showing him right. These are the key figures in your ancestry, and this is what they did, and this is how yeah. you learn it. You look at these pictures, and it's like a mnemonic, and you're going to remember it, and this will be very useful for you. So yeah. it seems like the kind of thing that he commissioned for his own education and quite likely would have taken back and I think it's really interesting if he did and he showed this to James V who he was quite close with um, 
uh, they seem to have got along quite well. Um, James V later talks about him in quite glowing terms. So it would be really interesting if he, he had taken this manuscript back with him and showed the pictures to James V. Because yeah. uh, there are similarities between later things that um, James V commissioned to uh, the illustrations in this manuscript. So it, uh, it always intrigues me, but it's a very difficult thing to really research, to really right. uh, show yeah. if it did happen. <laughs> well, yeah. and that shows what is to me, and is probably not actually, that it's the smart thing to do, but a remarkable amount of like understanding that, hey, I need to educate myself more yeah. on on the history of the country that I'm going yeah. to now be a part of ruling, yeah. um, which I, I don't think is something that we often think about when we, we think of regents and, and yeah. people. We, we're often talking about them in light of like, I don't know, grasping for power and control yeah. and... Um, Mm. bringing their their you know influence in um but we don't really think about like oh you know them taking it seriously of like these are people that (laughs) we need to rule yeah albany's a really interesting study for that he's a really interesting case because yeah he genuinely seems to have thought right this is my responsibility (laughs) and i grew up in france and i don't fully understand the history of Scotland or my my ancestry, and I'm yeah. I'm I'm sure this is what happened, and this is why he requested a manuscript to be brought from Scotland back to France, so it could be translated into French, and he could understand it easily, and uh, really remember it. And I'm sure that's what the the genealogy was about. It was for him to learn and commit to memory, and right. hopefully find useful. Yeah, which is it is interesting because many people who've written about Albany say that he was very French and he really yeah. wasn't interested in Scotland, uh, particularly before um, he became regent. But I, I think he was actually, yeah. <laughs> and I think he saw it coming, and <laughs> I think he prepared himself and uh, did his best in that respect. So yeah, it's it's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it just shows this kind of understanding that, I don't know, I think we often get the picture that people from the continent come to Scotland and kind of, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> sniff and go, oh, these are <laughs> such a different, you know, place and so backwards or whatever. Um, yeah. But actually taking, you know, the care to, to understand a little bit of the history mm-hmm. um Yeah, and it it was in his interest too as well. So that he had um, he had a motivation to promote Scotland on the continent, which he does seem to have been trying to do. So in his eyes, if he's regent of Scotland, it's important that he shows people in France and in Italy because he spent a lot of time in Italy towards the end of his life. it's it's important for him to show people that Scotland is actually a very um, progressive and important country. It's not on the periphery and it's not right. um, some cultural backwater. So it's important for him to demonstrate that because that makes that Im- improves yeah. his own standing and makes him more powerful if he is regent of uh, a powerful and important country. So exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh, an interesting aspect of it. Yeah, and that's, I think, uh, 
yeah, an important point to bring up because it, it's so yeah. often that we get sort of the reports of <laughs> <laughs> Scotland being the backwater rather. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, you know, you're, you're absolutely right in that pe the people on the continent to have had these alliances must not have actually always thought that because um, it was still considered an important alliance you know, important connection to have in their world to to be connected to Scotland. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the Scots were very useful to the French. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were very. Um, they do seem to have been genuinely very good mercenaries, and they they um, yeah were very instrumental in in helping the French in the Hundred Years' War and in their invasions in Italy. So there are a number. Well, a good number of Scots who who really did a lot of the the frontline fighting for the French in in Italy, uh, as yeah. well as helping them in the Hundred Years' War. So, they, yeah, they were a, a very useful alliance. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh. Um, but it's been if lovely. it's okay Thank with you, you I might split it into two episodes. That's that's fine if you think there's enough there. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I know that you deal with this like every day. And so it seems like it's um, less interesting in some ways, but like, it's gonna It's so fascinating. Oh, um, that's so nice to hear. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love my subject. <laughs> it's a real delight to talk about it. But um, yeah, you, you always wonder whether it's of any interest to anyone else. So that's yeah. lovely. <laughs> The Scotta Chronicast is just one of many things relating to medieval history on Medievalist.net. If you like what you see and what you hear, consider being a patron on patreon.com slash medievalists. Thank you for joining us on the Scotta Chronicast. Please rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can also follow our account on Twitter at Scotta Chronicast. Our music is Ex to Lux Oratur by Gaeta. Thanks for listening. <laughs>